0: Aloha Kako,
1: and thank you for listening to Native Stories, an online and mobile app archive aiming to activate and perpetuate the perspectives of those who are connected to the land. My name is Ikaika Bishop, and today we are learning about the talented family of feather workers whose origins date back to the 1950s and still share their crafts with the world each year at the Mary Monarch Festival in Hilo Hawaii. Join me as I interview Mrs. Mele Chun at their shop on Oahu near Waikiki as I learn what a Humu Papa is and how the steps for learning their family trade is not a short one, but rather a chance to develop a profound respect and appreciation for these unique creations. Now, let's visit with Mele at her family's feather shop, Na Lima Milihulu no Eao. Aloha, and thank you so much for having me here today. I'm very honored and privileged to welcome you on our show. Uh, can you please start by saying your name and a little bit about where you're from?
0: Aloha, my name is Mele Kahale Punachan, and I am from Honolulu, Oahu, born and raised. And uh, the work that I do is hulu, or feathers. Um, it all began... Back in 1955 with my tutu, Etty Mary Lou Kekueva, she first learned featherwork, uh, as being a volunteer with Aloha Week in their wardrobes department and Part of her responsibilities, part of her kuleana was learning how to make lei hulu, learning how to make kahili pa'alima, and learning how to make kahili ku. And little did she know that it would become her life's passion, but it did. And she started teaching um, here and there, parks and recreations. And then, of course, in the 70s, the Renaissance began and everybody was doing a craft of sorts. And so she was looked upon as being the source for Hulu. I uh, forgot to mention, though, her kumu, her teacher, was Auntie Leilani Fernandez. And her kumu, Auntie Leilani's kumu, was someone named Kupihea. We have not been able to find out anything about him thus far, but we're working on it. Anyhow, Tutu, of course, Feathers was in our house. And my mom first started in 1963 when she was a senior at Kamehameha. She had to do a project for class. And so she said, Mama, can you teach me? And she said, sure. I was waiting for you to come and ask. And It didn't become a passion of my mom's immediately, but with my mom working at Bishop Museum and being around history and culture all the time, she saw the need for the growth of of this art. And because of a position she was given at Bishop Museum. She was manager for, at the time, the brand new Atherton Halau. She incorporated a daily program. So every day there was a different artisan, a different crafter. So on Mondays was kapa, was quilting with Auntie Debbie Kakalia. And then Tuesdays was Hawaiian implements with the Gomeses, And you know, every day was different. Hala on Wednesday and then my tutu had hulu on Thursdays. And and um, so that's where my tutu's teaching really increased as far as numbers of students. But that became the main focus was sharing the knowledge, because if we don't share it and we take it with us, how does it grow? So long story short, 1991 Is when the shop here was opened. And my mom told my tutu, she says, you know, mama, you travel all over teaching people and selling your goods, your wares at fairs. Why not have people come to you? So my mom was able to find this space and we've been here since then, since 1991. But the name of our, our business, our company, Nalima Milihulu Noeau, it means skilled hands that touch the feathers. And it was given to my tutu by Auntie Edith Kanakaole. And um, so it's a very treasured name. And, you know, people say, oh, you have to change your name. Nobody can pronounce it. Well, too bad. Sorry. <laughs> It's precious, and it, it explains exactly what we do.
1: Yeah, it's beautiful name. Can you tell me a little bit more about... What your tutu was known for as far as what she created and what was some of her more recognizable talents as far as feather working goes?
0: Sure. Well Tutu did everything. I mean initially it was just uh vilipoi poi or as people say the fluffy lay, you know. So vili to to wind or, to, or or tie and then round, but it's that's Initially, what she learned from um, Auntie Leilani with having to make for Alohawik, and then learning the opposite style, vilikamoy, turn the feathers the other way, so the feathers lie down flat. Well, Tutu was innovative in that she combined the two, yeah, the two methods. So she created what she called maunaloa, because the lei, though it was it was wound or tied, it was flat and it looked like the Mauna Loa lay, you know, the flower... And uh, she also created what my mom referred to as a marigold. So it was doing poi poi to look like the petals of the flower and then the kamoi being the calic part of the flower. Um, And also creating what people call a lokelani or taking the kamoi style and creating buds. So your lei, when you make it, ends up looking like a rosebud lei. Or, you know, if you use white, it could look like pikake or, so they've been innovative in creating a, a few styles and outside of, of our ohana of hulu, you don't see that. It's, it's just what we do.
1: That's pretty unique to your family.
0: Very unique to
1: our family. Are the methods of creating those lay, are those something that you still hold as a secret within your family? Or have they just not found the right students yet? Or are there people who have been learning and still practicing those?
0: There are people who are still learning and practicing. Um, Of course, when students come in brand new, they can't just learn how to do that. We start from basics we start from the very beginning you know you learn how to prepare your feathers and fortunately for for you know the craft that we do today it's easy of course the work is not easy but easy in the sense that we make a phone call and we order feathers we yeah. don't have to go out and gather so but there's still preparation that's involved we have to steam the feathers back to their original state and then we have to cut them all to precise sizes, um, depending on the lay that you're going to be doing. And if you don't do that process and you just work with feathers that are already cut, you've lost, you know, you've lost something. People always ask us, can we just buy cut feathers? No. You need to go through that whole process to develop your patience that you need Because it is something that takes an an awful lot of patience. But um, you start from the beginning, you learn, you do a poi poi, and then you go to a kamoi. And then from there, we see how you do, you know, have you got it, you have mistakes, we'll do it again. Make another one, and another one, and another one. And then eventually, once you've grasped those, then we can move on to the styles that my tutu created, but Tutu also taught Ahula and my grandpa as well. You know, they learned back in the 70s from a British gentleman, actually. His name was Terry Emerson. And uh, incredible. But uh, he had actually learned in Aotearoa. He learned in New Zealand, uh, rightfully. You know, that made sense. But um, it was a lot more difficult, I think, than they anticipated it would be. But also keeping in mind what our kupuna did and realizing that, you know, what they went through in order to accomplish what they were accomplishing and being very grateful that we have larger feathers to work with. And we can, you know, we don't have to make the netting, although uh, eventually we're, we're going to get to that mm-hmm. point. And, and so many people come here again. They walk in and they just want to learn how to make an ahu. It's um no we start from the beginning it's all a process yeah. and um, otherwise they, they they don't gain the true appreciation i believe every time i i sit down with a with a haumana and i t- teach them it's i'm learning something new mm-hmm. at the same time i actually learned majority of of my knowledge from my tūtū what i learned from my mom was just kind of helping me to tweak what I had already learned from my tutu. Um and then of course, like everyone else, you you take what you've learned and you make it better. You make it your own, but never forgetting what you learned originally. Never never forgetting where you came from. Of course. Yeah.
1: You know, along with the more um, textile and hands-on teachings or lessons that the students can expect to learn, could you share with us some of the more meanings behind, like, was there a reason why certain colors were used? Is there a reason why certain patterns are used?
0: Well, with featherwork in general, uh, when we look back into our history, of course, it was something that was only utilized by Ali. You know, or, and, and kahuna. And that was basically because of the simple fact that to get the feathers was tedious. You know, it wasn't easily gotten. So when we look at colors, you only see certain colors. You only see red, you only see yellow, you only see black, and an extremely interesting hue of green. You know, so people automatically think today, oh, those are royal colors. No. That's what they had. So that's what they worked with. And when we look at the birds that they came from, you know, you look at yellow, the yellow feathers only came from two birds and they were blackbirds. And there were only, for instance, Two under one wing and two under the other wing. So, of course, those were more prized. So when you saw the yellow, you knew that that person who was wearing the lei or who was wearing the ahu or who was wearing the sash or the mahiole, you knew the more yellow they had the higher the status was, most likely, because it was harder to get that. So, for instance, you look at Kamehameha Ekahi, you look at his Ahu'ula, and it was all yellow. From what we were told, from what we've learned, you know, for his Ahu, it took 10 generations just to collect. The feathers to have enough feathers to make his ahu. So when we look at the designs, when we look at the patterns of the meahulu from our past, we can make up stories. But really, there's nothing that tells us about certain designs or certain patterns. But I can tell you, every lehulu, every ahuula was made specifically for a person, and nothing was ever replicated. And so that's something that we're very strict about with our haumana is when you are creating your mehulu do not copy what you've seen in a book do not copy what you've seen in the museum or or in an exhibit because that is theirs and you 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 cannot take what is theirs you you use your own creativity and and you make your own but also, you know, in that creativity part, uh, people think that they have to stick to those original colors. And no. Because we don't replicate. We don't duplicate. You're creating your own. So why not utilize other colors? I mean, if our kupuna had access to birds that had these other colors, yeah, they would have used them. So why not use purple in your lei? Why not use blue in your lei? Why not use white in your lei? It's okay.
1: Would you consider using things other
0: than feathers in your lay shells or beads or seed that would be an interesting thing I, I've actually never considered it but but I know you know people use feathers they incorporate feathers into their work I've never thought about incorporating other materials into my work now you got me thinking
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, well I'm, I'm definitely a, a believer in use what. Get uh, make use of something, mm-hmm. you know, especially if if you have a need for it. Mm-hmm. And so, it's a busy season for you because uh, Mary Monarch is right around the corner. Yes. Um, how do you folks prepare for a big event like that? Well,
0: wow. <laughs> preparing for Mary Monarch doesn't start, you know, it's not like being a Halal, preparing to compete where you start months in advance. Um, for me, fortunately, because I have so many Haumana and many of them are retired and this is what they do... It's it's their hobby that they've developed, and they've become quite good at it. So a lot of my uh, inventory that I take to Mary Monarch is my home in the, is their work. So if anything, I start getting after them in the beginning of the year. Mary Monarch's coming up in April, If you know, if you want to start working on things. But for me, it's creating things. I'm trying to go... A little more modern and, and because of the fact that Lehulu and such is not cheap. Yeah. It costs a pretty penny. And so many people, they'd like to have something, but they can't afford to pay the $400, the $500. So for me, it's making smaller things. Um, so yeah, I usually start like now. (laughs) <laughs> now february march in making you know um maybe earrings or making apolima making bracelets or flowers into hair pieces um so they're more fun for me it's 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 not a traditional art but it's doing something along the same line and just making it more available to people but Mary Monarch's important to my family, you know. My tutu was one of the very first vendors uh, when the Mary Monarch Craft Fair started. And um, so we've just kind of been, over the years, it's just kind of been expected that, you know, Nalima Mili Hulu noea was going to be there. And, you know, so I always get a phone call, you are coming. Yes, I'm coming. <laughs> And it used to be before things were changed with the fire marshal, everybody knew where we were. You know, when you walked into the Civic through the front door, we were right there, right by the Wahine's bathroom and right by the snack bar and next to the t shirts. But because of changes, we've moved, but we're still there.
1: I'm sure you have a lot of loyal customers that return. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the things that you're sought out for specific types of lays or specific types of jewelry?
0: Um, most of our, our customers and yes we do have loyal repeat customers they come looking for humu Papa.
1: I don't know what that is.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Most of them come looking for humu papa. Nice. And um, of course, that's not a traditional style of lay. Mm-hmm. That was after foreign arrival, of course, because we didn't have needle to sew. But a style that was actually developed or is developed by Paniolo. They're the ones that are credited with developing this style of lay. Mm-hmm. And um so every you know, made from goose, dyed goose feathers to uh ringneck pheasant to peacock to whatever we can get our hands on, we get a lot of people coming to us looking for that. The humu papa. Humu papa.
1: Yeah. Um may I ask, is there a type of feather that is sought after more than the rest? Something that you're very fond of or maybe difficult to attain or um you know very collectible by people who admire this type of work and art?
0: One of the first, one of the most popular that people are always seeking is peacock. Whether it be the blue chest peacock or the green, or actually it's called gold, but the green on the back, those have become difficult, more and more difficult to get, more and more expensive to get. Um, the next one would be Chinese golden pheasants, the gold and the red, those have become almost impossible to get nowadays. Of course, everybody wants the ring neck pheasant, but they want the neck. And people come, oh, I, I want a lay that's made from the blue neck. It's like, how's your pocketbook? <laughs> oh oh, we have big pockets (laughs) because those those are quite expensive as well so for me and and this is something that you know i watched my 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 tutu say or heard my tutu say and my mom say as well come learn you know you admire it you love it can't it can't afford it come learn yeah. You're still going to pay a pretty penny for the feathers themselves. But then, too, you have a greater appreciation, I think, if you make it yourself versus buying it. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: is there something here in your collection that you've made that you probably will never sell because you're so fond of it? And
0: I don't have that piece here it's at home (laughs) okay it's at home and uh, my most favorite piece also which is something I inherited from my mom it's at home as well but um, no mallard ducktail
1: okay
0: it's a naturally curly feather people think we actually sit and curl it but it's a natural curl and there's only two on a male mallard duck only two <laughs> so, I have a humu papa that my mom made that is all mallard ducktail. And every time I wear it, people want to grab it. But I keep that one at home. No touch. No touch.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: no touch.
1: Mm-mm. Oh, gosh, that sounds so beautiful. I'm correct if you're passing that knowledge on to younger generations. Yes. Do you have an acclaimed student that you're so proud of that you'd like to talk about?
0: <laughs> well, my daughter, uh she actually started featherwork when she was five years old. Um, like myself, my, my tutu sat me down at five and started teaching me. She did the same with my daughter, sat her down at five years old, started teaching her. There's several things I love about her. But one of the things that I love about her is that she's a lefty. So when I have students that are lefties, you know, she's very... Very comfortable teaching them because it is difficult to teach when you're a right handed person to teach a left handed person but anyway, she does the most beautiful kamoi. In my opinion, out of all the works that I've seen, she makes the most beautiful kamoi. And, um, she loves hulu and she knows that this is her kuleana or, or will, it will become her kuleana. Um, but there are, there are, outside of Leleae, there are several students. My mom did have a master apprentice. Um, his name is Kavika Lam and um he continues you know with with what he's what he learned from my mama and from me and he's gone beyond that awesome artist and then i have also taken on an apprentice his name is chris jones and uh, people look at him and go holy boy is a like, but. His Hawaiian is in here and his Hawaiian is in his hands and what he does.
1: Oh, that's beautiful. I'm very happy to hear that learning is still being passed out. Um, and so in respect to that, do you feel um, that there is... Things that have been lost and never been regained? Or do you feel like we have a pretty good grasp of what our kupuna used to do?
0: I believe we have a very good grasp on what our kupuna used to do. And something that I do um, is before we get started, you know, with Haumana, particularly when I'm doing larger workshops with whether it be a halau or it be even when I teach in Japan, I give our history first so that they know where we came from, so that we, they know what our kupuna went through, you know, how the kiamanu went into the forest and how they would put the papalakepau on the branch so that when the birds landed to eat, they got stuck so they could pluck the feathers and then clean the feet with the kukui oil and let them go from that. So that they, they have a somewhat of an understanding that it's not just dyed goose and it's not just the pheasant pelt that uncle hunted, that there's so much more than that. And, um, the history, of course, of my family, my history as far as the legacy of Hulu that I'm continuing. That's awesome.
1: So um, for our listeners, if they're interested in learning more, how should they get in touch with you?
0: As far as classes, my classes are all by appointment only. So you can go to my website. It's featherlegacy.com. And my contact information is there. You can either email me directly through the website or my phone number. And you can call me. My number is 808-499-7048. And we'll get you on my calendar, and we'll start.
1: I, I'm super excited. I'd love to take those courses. Just out of curiosity, how often is your shop open?
0: My normal shop hours is Monday through Saturday, ten to five. I can go outside of those hours if need be, but that's just my standard. Uh, but always call for an appointment if you want a class. It's only me that works here that runs the shop. So oftentimes, if I'm if I'm away, I'll leave a note in the window, but. I don't want you to travel from Kahuku and you come and I'm not here. So always call first.
1: It's it's in a very central location here in Kapahulu uh, on Kapahulu Avenue. So we're here on site if uh, some of our listeners heard the traffic going by. <laughs> it is a very busy area um, but it's also very conveniently located. If our listeners could see all of the beautiful things on the walls I would have to say it's it's worth it just to come and, and fill your eyes with the beauty and wonder of all all of these pieces of work that, you know, you can tell it took a lot of time, a lot of love, a lot of commitment and also a lot of Ikea, a lot of knowledge. You probably won't be able to find in any book or any YouTube channel. But out of curiosity, do you have plans to do any sort of digital teaching or lesson learning or um, you prefer them to come down and learn in person?
0: I prefer them to come down and learn in person. People, you know, if you go look for me on YouTube, you will not find me. You'll find others, but you won't find me. We had a book, but it's unfortunately out of print, and I'm working on changing that. But yeah, come here, 762 Kapahulu Avenue, Nalima Mili Hulu no Eao. I'd love to have you. Uh, well
1: thank you so much for sharing that with us it's my honor and privilege and very grateful to sharing this experience with you and we look forward to seeing you this year at mary monarch again to see all the beautiful things you guys have been doing and thank you so much mele and uh, aloha a hui hu to our listeners mahalo mahalo, thank
0: you.
1: mahalo mele it was truly an honor to see all of the beautiful pieces you folks make using so many different types of feathers And mahalo again to our listeners for connecting with us on Facebook by searching Native Stories or through our website at www.nativestories.org for the latest and greatest activations of Indigenous perspectives. If you or your Ohana has a story to share about their culture, their arts, their history, or their homeland, contact us and let us know what exciting perspectives you have to share. Now, before I go... Please download the mobile app and listen to our podcast by searching Native Stories in the App Store. Support our nonprofit by clicking like and rating us with five stars. Become a sponsor and also donate. Your support helps us advance technology for students, publish and produce original perspectives, and empower the youth of our communities to advocate for what they believe in. And until next time, please share us with your friends, family, and the entire Ahupua'a.